Welcome to Nutrition Grad Guide. I'm your host, Shana Sapi, a qualified nutritionist and multi-passionate entrepreneur. I created this podcast to help nutrition grads just like you navigate your way into a career and a life that you love. In each episode, I'm going to bring you interviews with experts in the nutrition and health field, exploring a range of different career pathways. We'll learn about what they do, how they got there, and their advice to help you grow a successful career as a nutritionist or a natural health professional. Thank you for tuning in. Today's guest is Sarah George, the first acupuncturist to join me on the show. So I'm very excited to welcome her here. Um, We were just having a bit of a chat about how all the different modalities, we really can work together and we can all learn from each other too, because growing a business in this natural health industry, it is all very similar, regardless of which path we are going down. Um, So I'm very excited to have her here. We're going to talk a bit about what it's been like growing a clinical practice, her experience as a university lecturer, and also writing subjects for unis as well. So it's going to be an awesome episode. Thank you so much for joining me, Sarah. Oh, it's lovely to be here. Thank you. Thanks. So let's get started by talking a little bit about how you got interested in the health space. Yeah, sure. So when I uh, was in high school, I actually had the opportunity of doing aromatherapy instead of sport, which I thought was just amazing (laughs) because I wasn't very sporty. Um, So uh, I was quite interested and in my family, we used a lot of natural medicine and that sort of thing. And I remember picking up a a brochure for the Australian College of Natural Medicine back then. And then I thought, that's not a real job. I'll go and get a, a proper job, you know? So I did a business management degree and I majored in marketing and um, I worked in the wine industry to start with. And then I moved across to the health industry and um, mostly in natural health. I worked for Sunspirit Aromatherapy down in Byron Bay um, and a few other, other companies. And I did a lot of writing of brochures and content and that was sort of websites weren't websites were just sort of starting then but it was mostly brochures that you were writing and um, I felt like I could do my job better if I worked um, if I understood more about how the body works and so originally um, I enrolled at it was ACNM back then, um, originally um, enrolled in naturopathy, but I was going to a naturopath and an acupuncturist at the same time. I was chatting to them and they, and then in the end I was convinced, no, I should go and do acupuncture. So I switched over to acupuncture just before we started and uh, look, really glad that I did, but have a very big respect for nutritionists and naturopaths as well, because I love what you do um, and I find all of everything you do very fascinating as well. Sorry, that's that's how I got into natural health. <laughs> yeah, amazing. Um, yeah, we find everything you do very fascinating as well. And I'm sure there's a lot of similarities. And um, yeah, it's a cool path to have gone down. Yeah, yeah, I think there's lots of crossover. So we we sometimes we talk about the same things, but we we use different language. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you went on to study at ACN, which is now Endeavour. Um, and then what did you do? Where did you go from there? Tell us a little bit about your career journey. Yeah. So um, one of the wonderful things I, uh, when, when I studied, you could do an advanced diploma in acupuncture. And so in my, um, uh, once I got that, I, uh, one of my lecturers uh, hooked me up to work in one of his friend's clinics, which was really lucky. It was an, an um, two practitioners that were acupuncturists and naturopaths and so Mm -hmm. I learned a lot from them and mostly they were herbalists um and then I got to go to China as well so I did an internship in a Chinese hospital which was just amazing um and I worked for about six years in that clinic and that clinic was um based in in Brisbane for people who know Brisbane um it was called the Healthwise Clinic it was on Wickham Terrace um in Spring Hill um, and that's where all the hosp- like private hospitals and that sort of thing are. Um, mm-hmm. And we had three IVF clinics um, around our clinic. So um, I did lots of work with fertility and pregnancy and IVF support and that sort of thing um, through that area. Mm-hmm. After that, um, I ended up, um, or sort of throughout that time, I was actually tutoring in acupuncture at the college. Uh, at, I think it was Endeavour at that point. And... Um, and then uh, I worked at a clinic in West End and uh, then I took a permanent position at um, Endeavour and I was a lecturer, a permanent lecturer up in Brisbane and then I took a senior lecturer role down at the Gold Coast. And now I live in Tasmania <laughs> for a big change and I've set up a clinic here, which has been a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. 
Incredible. Oh, that all sounds so interesting. And we'll go into each of them separately. Um, but it's also really cool. I love how you mentioned you went over to China to do some work over there and learn from that. I can only imagine how much that really would have enhanced your knowledge and enhanced your expertise. It's such a cool thing to do. Yeah. It does. Uh, you immerse yourself in it. You're surrounded by it. You see, so, there's, you see the same point needled a hundred times a day and yeah. it really builds your confidence up and it helps you. And it, one of the big things is, and I think this is an important message for anyone in any career, but natural medicine um, yeah. is there's many right ways. There's yeah. many right ways. So we saw all these doctors who were just amazing at what they did, but each one of them had a very different style. And yeah. different patients gravitated towards them or, you know, had tried them and then went and tried someone else and found the right fit for them. But they were all great, but they all had really different styles. Yeah. Wow. Really interesting. Mm. Um, and on that note, is going abroad and if you have an opportunity, like I remember when I was at uni, there were different like study trips or volunteer trips and things like that. Is that something you would recommend to other practitioners, regardless of their modality, to really enhance their skills? Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. 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 I, I got so much out of, out of mine just um, to see it practiced in a different way or where it's a more dominant medicine maybe. Yeah. Um, and you'll see things that are being treated. So in the hospitals in China, um, if someone has a stroke, um, they're treated with acupuncture every day. They have Chinese herbs, but they also have Western medicine and it's all together. Mm -hmm. And the doctors are trained in both. Um, wow. Shingles, shingles patients that are in there getting this you know, treatment. There's hepatitis. We treated hepatitis patients um, in in the liver and gallbladder ward. Um, so yeah, you will get a chance often to treat things that you would never treat back here. But it gives you a even if you still never treat it back here, you yeah. get a more well-rounded view of your medicine and what it's capable of. Yeah, incredible. It sounds amazing. Um, so now let's talk a little bit about your clinical experience and how you've gone about building up a clinical practice. Um, have you sort of rented rooms or um, purchased your own or how have you approached that? Yeah, so I've had probably a mix of um, uh, like a split, a 40, 60, a 50, 50, uh, 60, 40. When I first started, I was on, I think a 60, 40, not in my favor, um, <laughs> but I was brand new and they did, um, supply business cards, needles, everything was supplied. Um, and as I got more confident and built up my base that, um, I think we ended up going 50, 50 or, or something along those lines. Yeah. Um, I worked in another clinic where I was on a 40, 60 split. Um, but I provided a lot more of my own stuff. Um, mm -hmm. so mostly in around that sort of thing. Um, yeah. now I, re I rent rooms and to yeah. be honest, I think if you can, and if it works for you, renting a room is so much better because it's your space. It's exactly as you leave it. Um, I, I rent a room for a whole week. So I go yeah. in on the, the, you know, no one else uses the room, um, but it's exactly how I leave it. Um, and uh, I can, I can go in at nighttime. I can go in at the morning. If I need to do, if someone's having an IVF transfer, I need to come in early. I can do that. So um, I like the flexibility of it. And I think yeah. if you've got a big enough client base to support it financially, it works. Um, often a lot better. I mean, it depends on the figures, but financially it definitely works better for me to be renting a room um, at the moment. So I, at the moment I'm renting out of, uh, it's actually a yoga studio, but it has a wellness center upstairs. It used to be the old Roman baths in Launceston. Oh, wow. Um, so it's got these beautiful columns everywhere. It's, it's very beautiful and they've, they've um, very big on indoor plants. So there's indoor plants everywhere. It's, it's just a really, really lovely space. And there's um, some massage therapists um, and a counselor. Uh, up in the area that I use as well. Yeah. Uh, in terms of building my customer base, um, mm -hmm. I started out uh, probably the biggest way was um, that first clinic I worked at, um, I got involved in, because I had a marketing background, I got involved with writing the clinic newsletter. And um, back then, the clinic newsletter was done on paper and we posted <laughs> them out. Wow. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I know it was a massive job. It was something like we'd post about fifteen hundred. Oh, yeah. Wow. yeah, yeah. But we're writing things, and whenever we sent out one of those newsletters, you'd always get people calling up. We did it once a month, I think, um, and then we switched over to an online newsletter, which we were using at that. Point. We weren't using Mailchimp. We were using the other one, Constant Contact. Okay. Um, and um, yeah, once again, a monthly newsletter. And 
one of my biggest things is, and I'm sure nutritionists are all over this, is including a recipe. And uh, so we never put in full stories. It was only just a snippet of a story with a read more, click to the website, and that would bounce up your website um, hits, which was better for Google. But if there was a recipe in it, the recipe would always have the highest number of hits. Oh, wow. So did you yeah. also link to the recipe or did you include the recipe in the email? No, we linked to the recipe. To it? Yeah. yeah, smart. Yeah, so yeah. that boosted the <laughs> website hits. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, we had a really nice database of recipes on, on, on our website. And mm-hmm. um, then I think word of mouth. Word of mouth was the best thing to get um, referrals. And it was a bit of a hard time because it was a global financial crisis, actually, when I came back from China. And um, a lot of public servants were lost their jobs in, in Brisbane City. Um, and that was our customer base because we see people who came while they were not necessarily living in the city, but they worked in the city. Um, but still word of mouth kind of kept things going. That was always my biggest um, form of best form of advertising really was word of mouth. Which everyone says that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, um, and then I, social media and a blog. They're the other things. I used to have a blog called The Wellness Ninja. Um, and um, I, again, there was lots of recipes on there. Often I'd um, put a Chinese dietetic slant on every recipe. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, social media, running a Facebook page for my clinic, um, Instagram. Uh, I used to do Twitter a lot. I don't do Twitter much anymore. Um, yeah, but uh, those sort of things have helped. I found down in Launceston, actually, Facebook and even Instagram seems to work Mm -hmm. much better than where I was in Brisbane and the Gold Coast. And I wonder if that's because um, uh, there's sort of less competition down here. There's less, there's just less acupuncturists. So if someone searches Launceston acupuncture, I'm more likely to come up. And even with Instagram, my face is the Instagram picture for my, my profile and people go, I've seen you somewhere. I know you from somewhere. And uh, it turns (laughs) out that, um, that's from um, Instagram. They recognize yeah. me from Instagram. Well, that's great. That's <laughs> yeah. So that's really interesting. Yeah. yeah that's the other thing is Launceston um, does like brochures and business cards, whereas I found up north, everything was moving electronic. But these days people do like a brochure. Yeah. <laughs> nice. So where do they put those brochures? Are they in the clinic that you're in or do they do mail drops or what do they find works best for that? Uh, so I have them in my clinic and also mm-hmm. at the front of our centre. Cool. Um, they're also in our waiting area for our wellness area. Yep. Um, and I've dropped them off at um, different health food shops and things like that as well. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, do you find also that being in sort of like a multimodality place and with the yoga studio and all that, do you find like a referral network really helps? And do you get referred people, customers and clients from the other people there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, we have a, a, quite a few shared um, patients through that, that clinic and we do refer between us. So um, that's really great. I used to do a lot of massage. I don't do much anymore. So I'm really glad to um, be able to refer um, my patients who need a good one hour get stuck in kind of massage um, to the other massage therapists. Yep. I also used to work when I first came down here, I worked in two clinics. So this one and also a physio clinic that was becoming more of an allied health clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, they were wonderful. I really loved them. Um, uh, they, and I still have a really good referral network with them as well. So, Fantastic. you know, by living on really nice terms with them, um, we've maintained we, deep respect, I think, for the service. They, they're great for really, really good, interesting, different type of physios. Yeah. And um, they send me some people that um, are a little bit trickier, don't sort of fit a nice musculoskeletal pattern, but might need a bit more help or maybe mental, emotional stuff is coming into the pain or something like that. So they send people my way like that. Yeah, and then I've got um, I I'm, I can't even remember how we met. I think it was just I saw her on Facebook, um, a naturopath who does a lot of IVF and fertility work, and mm-hmm. so I connected with her. And we we now we share a lot of patients between us. Um, I, I let her do all the herbs, and um, I do all the acupuncture, um, and that's working really well. We're getting some wonderful results for people who just thought that having a child might not be possible at all and uh, that works really well Uh, another diet a dietitian who did a phd in the gut microbiome um 
So she's really interesting. She's not like your regular yeah. dietitian. And um, we have a great referral network um, there too. So it's just been a matter of sort of meeting a few people, um, which is net- networking, but sometimes yeah. some of it's been online networking and then you meet them and then you um, uh, develop this lovely network. So down here, I probably have the best referral network I've ever had. Incredible. Mm. Yeah, it just shows another really positive thing about um, technology and social media and, yeah, having, like, social media friends and connections and stuff. And I've noticed the same. There'll be people I chat to on Instagram and then I meet them in person and you just uh, develop a really good professional relationship with them and they become friends as well, which is really nice. And it's so great to, like, how welcoming our whole industry is because we're all here for each other and we've all got each other's backs. That's it. Absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. So one other aspect of clinic I want to touch on is in terms of a dispensary. So I'm guessing you would have like a sort of herbal dispensary as part of your clinic. Um, How do you approach that? Yeah, so um, I use, uh, I've done extra training in Western herbal medicine. Mm -hmm. Um, So I use some Chinese herbs and I use some Western herbs and the Western herbs I use in a Chinese medicine way. So I'm thinking of the energetics um, of the herbs. I it's only a small dispensary, but I do keep it um, in my clinic. Um, I am signed up to a few of the services where you can um, get something made up and send out. So for a few of the Chinese herbal formulas I don't use a lot, I might use that service. Yeah. Um, and then for some of the nutritionals and that sort of thing, I only do like a little bit of nutrition. I'm not a nutritionist, so I, I don't do a lot in that area. But I often send people, we have a really wonderful pharmacy down here um, with a pharmacist that does functional medicine. Oh, and cool. so I usually send people down to that pharmacy and I'm like, okay, you, you need some of these. I don't stock this. Go and have a chat with them and they'll, they'll sort you out with the right, the right thing. So I do a mix of keeping my own referring out or referring to um, um, another practitioner to do a full, full check and, yeah, that sort of thing. Yeah, that sounds like an awesome balance and a good way to keep it so that you don't have to buy a huge dispensary and then not necessarily use it all. So it's great to have those online tools as well. Absolutely, Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, So let's talk now a little bit about your time in education. So lecturing at Endeavour, tutoring at Endeavour, how you got into those and your experience with them. Yeah, I was um, lucky. Just one of my lecturers had said, Sarah, I need a tutor. Can you come and be my tutor? And so that's kind of how I got in. I don't think they do that the same way these days. I'm not sure. Um, but that's, that's how I got in. <laughs> and um, I just, I just loved it. I love teaching and uh, I loved helping, um, helping the students as well. So um, yeah, started as a tutor and then um, became um, a contract lecturer. So I just come in and do a subject here and there and, and then um, became a permanent lecturer down the part down the track yeah yeah very cool um so tell us a little bit about what that was like the kinds of skills you needed um to succeed in that area um yeah okay so it's a lot of work mm-hmm. I can imagine <laughs> be honest about that yeah. um I remember the very first subject that I lectured in um was a very basic Chinese medicine subject just about basic Chinese medicine diagnosis and it's really fascinating and lovely um but it was a double credit point subject so it was twice a week and I would spend nine about nine hours a day before the lecture the lectures were at night I'd spend all day preparing for this lecture and then give it that night Um, and I think that's just what a new lecturer is like you're just really nervous you're not sure that you know everything you do know it you you do know enough Um, Mm. but you're really nervous and I wrote all my own slides this was before Endeavour sort of gave out slides to the lecturers I wrote all my own slides Um, and um, uh, yeah so it was a lot of work because you want to feel confident that you know everything there is to know about that material before you present it yeah Um, but the second time you deliver a subject it's much much easier so um, you just get more confident you know it. you've done it before you don't have to write it all again you just tinker with it and then the more you 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 go the, the easier it gets and then you just you know, read some new content and look at a new study and, you know, pop that in and that sort of thing. And you become less reliant on slides and more talking and the slides are just there to 
you know, highlight a few points and that sort of thing. So yeah, yeah the more lecturing you do, the, the, the easier it gets. Um, marking, marking is, um, <laughs> no, no one loves marking. Let's just, I think we don't like marking as much as students don't like writing assignments, yeah. um, but it's, it's a necessary evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is lovely when you read an assignment and a student gets it, you know, like that is a really, really rewarding time. I have done some work also for the University of Tasmania and I did some marking in their Bachelor of Dementia Care subject, which is all online. And I didn't know any of the students and I found that more challenging because yeah. I just didn't know um, who these people were. So I was marking something that I didn't even know who they were. So I really do like the connection of face-to-face and, and marking because then you're like, oh, yes, John, you got it, you know? Like um, that's, that's, well, that's that thing we spoke about in class and you put it in there, well done you, you know? Um, so, yeah, so there's that side of things. And then when I became more of a permanent um, academic at the college, uh, it was really about management and organisation skills. So it was people management. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and administration skills and they were huge and they were probably a bigger part of the job than the actual lecturing was because um, when I was in the senior lecturer role I think I only taught three subjects um, uh, each semester mm-hmm. um, and the rest of the time was really organizing and there's so much to organize um, yeah. but it was also lovely to see um, students coming through semester by semester and how they were changing and evolving and um, and to see them graduate was just the most amazing thing ever. So heaps of work, you work really hard, lots of hours, um, uh, but you've got an, an, a wonderful opportunity to make change and to see, do whatever you can to help people develop into wonderful practitioners. Yeah, I love it. And did you find it really helped you become a better practitioner as well? Because they do say that the best way to learn is to teach. So did it help with your skill set? Absolutely. Yeah, actually, I'm not doing any type of teaching at the moment, no online work or anything like that. And uh, I've always loved um, teaching and clinic alongside each other because clinic gives you and even when I was a full-time senior lecturer, I still squished that into a short amount of time and yeah. kept some clinic going because yeah. I love using real life practical examples. You know, this mm-hmm. person came into my clinic, you know, all de-identified and, you know, this highlights this point, you know. Yeah. Um, so having really good examples, case studies, that sort of thing to use in teaching. But I find the lecturing, because you have to keep coming back to those details and that theory and you've always got, research papers coming your way and all this sort of thing and so it really sharpens your skills and your knowledge yeah very cool and so Mm. would you say you need a certain amount of experience in clinic before you do go into something like educational teaching is there like a prerequisite around that or something you recommend yeah there is a prerequisite now there wasn't when I started um and I think it's something like I think it's five. I think you've got to have a minimum of five years, I think. Yep. Um, I think if you ever get the opportunity to do tutoring, so any of the students out there who are interested in this sort of thing, if you, I'm not sure how much, you, you might need just a year, might be a year or two experience. Um, if you get an opportunity to be a tutor and education interests you, yep. jump at it because um, you will hone your skills in uh, a lot better. Mm-hmm. And um, in... Um, yeah, and, and look, only, only do lecturing if it's really, really grabs you because it is a lot of work and probably the money doesn't, the, the money by the time you divide it out isn't fantastic. Um, yeah. So you've got to love it. Um, you know, it's okay, but it's, it's um, you're not going to get rich doing um, lecturing. But yeah. you, if you love it, it'll really light you up. Yeah. Yeah, I had a... Um past podcast episode with Brad Leach and he does a lot of educating as well. He's a lecturer at Endeavour and he was saying a similar thing. He said he'll spend about 10 hours preparing for three hour um, lecture. So he's like, financially, it's not the smartest move, but because he is so passionate about it, that's what drives him. And it sounds like a similar thing for you. And it seems like a common theme among lecturers. And it's really good that you touch on that because yeah, people need to be aware of the workload involved down a pathway like that um so yeah that's a great point absolutely yeah yeah Yeah. and a really good tip about getting started with tutoring if you do want to like sort of dip your toes in and see if that is something for you and a good gateway in yeah I think 
tutoring gives you the opportunity to have a mentor as well because you'll be mm -hmm. mentored by whoever the lecturer is and um, having a mentor with anything is great. Yeah. Do you want to speak a little bit more about your experience with mentors? Because I'm always fascinated yeah. to talk about this. Yeah, sure. Um, so a few of my t lecturers that I had when I was at college have stayed as friends, but were mentors um, a lot throughout, well, still are mentors throughout my, throughout my clinical life. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've just had some great, there's one particular um, lecturer um, who I've, you know, stayed in touch with and we used to, he and um, another former student of his, um, we used to get together, the three of us, and we'd have breakfasts together or we'd go for a walk and then have lunch. And um, we did that a lot on the Gold Coast. And um, that, they are both very good classical Chinese medicine herbalists. And they, just to hear them chat about the real in-depth details of Chinese herbal medicine was just amazing. But also, um, we're all sort of involved in martial arts as well. So we'd all be talking about martial arts and medicine and, and that sort of thing too. So yeah, he's been wonderful for me. All of the people I've worked in clinics with have been amazing as mm -hmm. mentors, particularly the clinic owners have all um, helped me develop in so many different ways. Um, and then also I did my master's. I didn't say that before. I did my master's at Western Sydney Uni. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, we had a wonderful lady who um, coordinated our course and um, I'd, I'd class her as a wonderful mentor too. And she's, she's always been really good in terms of publishing and um, journal articles, writing, that sort of thing. She's been really helpful in that area. Oh, fantastic. That's, yeah, mm. sounds really interesting. And I have heard really good things about having that mentor and those mentors. So I can only imagine how much that would have helped your career blossom. Yeah. So my advice on that one for any graduates out there is find the lecturers that, that you'd like. And before you graduate, chat to them and go, do you mind if we stay in touch or something like that. Now they probably can't do that while you're studying, but yeah. after you leave, they can. And if they want to, and if you want to, um, and, and yeah, pick someone that you like their style. Yeah. Brilliant advice. Mm. Um, so you mentioned briefly, you did a master's. Do you want to talk a bit about that and your experience with further study and the benefit of going on to do more? Yeah, I think it was um, just amazing. So I did a Master of Health Science in uh, Traditional Chinese Medicine. Yep. And um, we had to, uh, it was basically at Campbelltown, which is in Western Sydney. Mm -hmm. And we all had to fly from different parts of Australia, although one of my friends came from Thailand, another wow. lady came from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. um, and we'd all stay together, everyone who wasn't from Sydney would all stay together on the uh, university accommodation. Mm -hmm. And we'd cook up dinners and lunches and breakfast together. And it was just that group that I studied with are really close knit and tight. And one really lovely thing that's happened with that group is we, um, last year we decided we'd start a CPD group up together and once a year we'd go somewhere in Australia and all get mm -hmm. us together and we'd do a CPD weekend. And so we did that last year so and uh, cool. I'm really it was really cool. We stayed in this beautiful heritage uh, accommodation and um, we had a massive big lounge room. So we used that for all of our prac work and our workshops and things like that. And I was so proud of everyone that we actually stuck to our program and we worked through it all. And uh, even our meals were all Chinese medicine related. So we discussed the energetics of the, the soup that we we're having or um, that sort of thing. So, and we did Qigong out on the lawn and we did mindfulness walks and um, it was just wonderful. Uh, and I've done other CPD things um, with, with people within that group as well. Yeah. So that was probably the best thing I got out of the masters was the other people mm -hmm. I met because they're all practitioners. I think at that stage you, you were supposed to be out of college for about five years or have five years experience. But I think some people got in before that. Um, and yeah, the people we met were just amazing. And then um, the information um, that it was part sort of, workshops which happened twice a semester and then the rest was by correspondence yep. um and i got some great information out of it um but i think the people the people were what really made it but also my academic skills got a lot better um, yeah that too 
Sounds like an incredible experience and those CPD weekends sound like so much fun. I think that's something everyone should do as a practitioner. (laughs) One thing I'd add to that is um, this course coordinator um, was chatting with her her colleagues and they all said, oh, what do you mean you don't put your exams at the end of the, um, the workshops where everyone comes? And, um, oh no, all the, yeah, all the exams I think were held and everything was due before the final workshop each semester. Oh, wow. She's like, but none of your students will come. And she said, all of my students come because we just (laughs) loved coming so much. It was such a great course. Oh, that's Mm. brilliant. I was just going to ask, actually, you mentioned when you were saying you were eating the meals and like the energetics behind the food. Do you want to talk a little bit about the difference between um, nutrition from a Chinese medicine perspective, as opposed to just the traditional Western approach to nutrition, because I find that really fascinating too. Yeah, yeah, and I think this this is where I think um, some of this stuff. You know, whenever I go to a CPD uh, event, I um, uh, you pick and choose the bits you like, you know, and then you leave the bits you don't. So. Yeah do that with this. Um, but I think for some nutritionists out there, some naturopaths, you might like to listen along and go, oh, okay, maybe that's why that food might work better for one person, but not another person. It's all very individual. Um, so basically, rather than looking at carbs, proteins, fats, we look at, um, and zinc, magnesium, that sort of thing, vitamin C. Um, yeah. In Chinese medicine, it's very energetic based. So it's exactly the same food that has all of those same nutritional properties. Mm-hmm. Um, but we look at it from a different lens and uh, we look at it, this food warms you or this food is actually very hot or this food is neutral or this food is cool or this one is very cold. We look mm-hmm. at it, does it make your chi go up? And foods that make your chi go up might give you, say, hiccups um, <laughs> or um, give you reflux maybe. Um, yeah. And and foods that go down, say, might give you diarrhea. Um, or if someone's got constipation, we might want to use foods that go down. Or if someone's got really bad headaches, like really strong throbbing headaches, again, we might want something that brings you chi down. Um, yep. If you just feel like really lightheaded and tired and that sort of thing, then maybe you need something that brings you chi up. Or if you've got diarrhea, you need to bring your chi up. So, um, or some people feel heavy and saggy. They, they need things that bring them up. So mm-hmm. there's directional and then there's also the flavors. And so we have five flavors. We have pungent or acrid, which is your spicy sort of foods. Mm-hmm. Um, we have sweet flavored foods. We have, um, oh, sorry, I've, I've done that wrong. We have bitter foods. We have sweet foods. We have pungent or spicy. Um, we have salty foods and we have sour foods. And all of those foods um, are considered to have some sort of therapeutic benefit depending on who you are, when it is, what your health situation is. And often it's kind of like to use those in a bit of a balance. Um, one of the key parts of Chinese medicine is there are no good or bad foods. Um, mm-hmm. And there's, I know we talk a lot about superfoods, but Chinese medicine is not so much with superfoods. It's more just this food is really good for this, but not for that. And um, mixing it around. Now, when I said no good or bad foods, obviously processed foods, really artificial foods, they're no good. Um, But um, generally naturally occurring whole foods um, we're working with within that. But sugar is not necessarily bad all the time. and things like, say, soy, that's really divisive. Some people are very pro and very anti-soy. But in Chinese medicine, it's just soy and it does these things. And if you need that, then that'll be good for you. But if you don't need it, you don't need to eat that. You eat something else. Yeah. Um, so it kind of works like that. And same with something like goji berries. Mm-hmm. Not everyone needs goji berries. Um, but some people do and they're really great for them. And other people, yeah, everyone can eat a few. That's fine. But some people, they're, they're, they're not that grateful. Yeah. Mm. That sounds like such an amazing approach to it. And yeah, it's really interesting hearing you talk about that. Do you think it would be something beneficial for a nutritionist to go and sort of further their studies and bring in that aspect of Chinese medicine nutrition as well to um, increase their skill set? Yeah, look, I think probably it's not for everyone, um, but I think for some where you've been maybe practicing for a while and you're like, most things work, I'm doing a really good job here, but sometimes things just, this works and sometimes it doesn't work, that sort of thing. I think this is where this comes in. Yeah. Um, we were chatting, uh, I did a um, CPD 
I was supposed to go to a seminar in Melbourne, but that was just when everything closed up. Oh, no. And so I've been able to watch a recording of this seminar. It was this wonderful lecturer from the US and she was chatting about um, pregnancy, postpartum and Chinese medicine. And um, one of her points in that was about morning sickness. And it ties in a lot with how I look at morning sickness. And that is some things work in morning sickness for one person, but they don't work for, the, for someone else. So, you know, yeah. everyone goes, have you tried ginger? Have you tried ginger? <laughs> um, and some women will go, yes, everyone's telling me to try ginger and it doesn't work. And so yeah. we'd kind of look at those kind of people as maybe they've already got too much heat in their body. Ginger is quite a warming substance. Yeah. Um, maybe they need more mint, which is more cooling or maybe some citrus in their water, which is more cooling. Um, so, but then there are the ones who are really tired and weak and maybe a bit cold. They might be cold to touch or they always have cold extremities or that sort of thing. And the ginger mm -hmm. um, ought to work well for them. But if it doesn't, then we've probably got our diagnosis wrong and we need to look at what can work better. How fascinating. That's very cool. Um, okay, so we've touched on the clinical side and the education side. Let's talk a little bit more about your experience writing a subject or writing multiple subjects in your case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, oh, I've, I've written, I think, I don't know, four or five subjects for Endeavour. Um, mm. And the most recent one I did was when I moved down to Tassie and I just focused on writing this subject. And it was probably the most in-depth, detailed subject I'd, I'd ever written. And it was also mm. the one that I've got the most passion for. So it was Chinese dietetics, which yep. is all that, that stuff I've just talked about over 13 weeks. Wow. Um, and... Um, it was huge. It was really huge, but mm -hmm. wonderful as well. So um, basically I looked back at when I studied this subject and thought, how can we make this better? And we could make it a lot better because back then I learned, we just basically had the book in front of us and we read out of the book. That was the lectures. Oh, wow. um, which wasn't <laughs> terrific. Luckily I was already passionate about it. So I picked the bits that I needed out of that. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to do was to really look at some of the, um, I took lots of different sources, not just one book for this subject. Yeah. And I looked at, um, foods that are really specific to Chinese medicine that we should be doing really well, that often nutritionists and naturopaths are actually doing better than us. Mushrooms, um, seaweeds, um, why is Chinese medicine at least Australian Chinese medicine practitioners and students not making more of these foods. I mean, there's all these extracts out there, which everyone else is using, but we're not, this is our medicine. Yeah. And so I went through and really focused, uh, well, did all pretty much all major foods and also didn't want to make it too much about pig's trotters and chicken's feet and um, <laughs> black bone chicken, which are all these Chinese things, which are very medicinal. Um, but uh, your average person might not, they might just only want to shop at Woolies and they're not going to get those things and they're not going to. <laughs> no. um, so we have to work on what will everyday people eat. Yeah. That, can, we can get them to get more to make better chi and blood in their bodies. Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, worked through all the foods, but particularly did some good focus on some of those things like mushrooms and seaweeds, the different types, how you cook them, um, what they all do for you that's a little bit different than the others. Yeah. Um, and uh, also I, I um, was trying to make it more practical for in clinic as well. So we looked at... Um, how do you actually take a consultation focusing on diet? Because that was never taught when I was at college. It was all just about, it was really focused on acupuncture being the, the end point. Yeah. Um, but what, what do we need? How do we even get a diet diary? And, and nutritionists, you're all over this, but these poor acupuncture students um, didn't used to get this kind of information. So we focused on this. We also focused on things like celiac disease um, it, like because um, when people are ignorant of these things, they don't take them seriously mm. and that's really dangerous. So mm. I needed allergies, real allergies, intolerances, celiac disease, these kind of things really understood so that they were taken serious. We even put FODMAPs in there, yep. um, that sort of thing. So that take them seriously, know what they are and know how to help someone in that, that situation from a Chinese dietetic point of view. Um, so we, we, they took, I think they took a diet diary, they did it on themselves and then they had mm -hmm. to analyze their own diet in a Chinese medicine sense. Yeah. And, um, they always, uh, one of the great, 
um, assessment pieces for this subject is always cooking a recipe for the class that you make up. So you, so cool. you say, I'm going to treat that woman with morning sickness who feels cold all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, they had to design a recipe and cook it. And the, the cooking method is important. The ingredients are important. Um, make that up and serve that to the class. And the class had to eat it and go, does it feel warming? You know, what's it doing to my chi? That sort of thing. Yeah. Um, and then the last assessment item that we did for that one was on taking a diet. It could be any diet out there. It could be paleo. It could be um, vegan. It could be anything. And mm-hmm. there, there's a big scope within all of those. But yeah generalizing it and just going so from a Chinese medicine point of view is this overly a cold diet or what sort of things would it do that are good for you and what sort of things might um people need help with so Mm -hmm. you know um if vegans are doing a vegan diet badly um -hmm. and I'm not I'm not writing off vegans here at all because I think they do some great things um but if, if there are plenty of vegans out there that do eat bad diets which is you know white bread and um you know, not much, not much nutrition in that at all. Some of the processed other things. Um, so, so what in Chinese medicine, how is that going to make their bodies behave and Mm -hmm. what can we help them to do to change their diet, even within their own guidelines? So still staying as a vegan. Um, Mm -hmm. but how can we change that in an energetic way? So that, yeah. they were sort of the assessment um, areas. And I, we, I didn't bother with an exam because I thought I want to make this really practical. I want you to learn a lot and I want you to be able to apply this back in the, um, back in the real world in clinic. Yeah, that sounds like a brilliant subject that you've written there. Yeah, it was great. Oh, and we had food that um, the lecturers and the students could cook in class as well. So they had a big box of food so that when we were talking about white woodier mushrooms or something, tremella, um, they could they could see what it actually looked like. And, you know, some students don't know what millet looks like or, Mm. um, you know, they've never cooked with adzuki beans. Um, So it was a chance to, to, you know, look at these things. Yeah, incredible. And how much time went into creating a whole 13-week subject? A lot. Yeah, I can imagine. (laughs) A lot more than I thought. Um, I think it it was about three months. Yeah. Well, that's pretty (laughs) good. um, You did well. (laughs) Yeah, and I worked really, really solidly on that. And even when I thought yeah. I was finished, there were still things I had to add into it. Yeah. yeah. I guess that would be the hardest part as well, knowing when to draw the line, because I'm sure there's so much you could put into something and it sounds like you've covered an incredible amount of knowledge. But yeah, it would be difficult knowing when to stop. <laughs> oh, it was. I had quotes, you know, like every new section had a picture and then a quote, like a Chinese beautiful... Chinese medicine does beautiful quotes on things. It's all very poetic yeah. and artistic. And so I always tried to find a lovely quote and I had pictures of all the foods and um, yeah, I, yeah, it was a lot, it was a lot of work, but it, it was a really good resource. Yeah. Yeah. And I think people can take so much from that if they ever do go down that path of developing courses, like the way you put so much care and attention into that and really showed things like even bringing the foods into class and all that sort of stuff. It's the sort of stuff that could be missing from subjects in the past and something so valuable because a lot of people are visual learners and a lot of people do need to have that sort of um, kinesthetic and that experience side of things. Like, so getting them take to take diet diaries and do things on themselves that's all a really brilliant way to bring all the different learning styles together. Um, and the fact that you didn't include an exam as well, I'm sure your students love you for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't think there's any point in rote learning what every food does. Yeah. Um, in some, some things it's important to know off the top of your head, but yeah. we have so many excellent reference texts that rote learning everything and just by doing the activities, a lot will go to memory anyway. Yeah. Um, but for the rest, there's reference texts. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, as you mentioned, like doing those activities and learning it in such a fun and engaging way, you're probably going to learn it a lot better than you would reading it out of a textbook, just say. So, yeah. And you just can't know it all. You can't yeah. know it all in your head. It's impossible. It's <laughs> yeah. too much to know. And I think that's probably a really good thing for uh, students out there as well, is you can't yeah. know it all. You need to focus in on the bits. The important core stuff, you have to mm-hmm. know that stuff. Um, but beyond that, learn the stuff you're really interested in. Yeah. And the rest is in books. The rest yeah. is in books. You'll if you know your core foundations well, you'll know where to look. The stuff will make sense later on. Yeah. And I guess that sort of leads really well into like niching. And 
if you are interested in a particular area, you get to know that really well. You have that as your niche and you don't need to know everything. So, yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah. Have you found that you have a niche in your acupuncture clinic? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Um, I really focus on women's health, fertility and pregnancy. So they're they're my big areas Mm -hmm. Um, and I bring dietetics a lot into that too. So, um, uh, yeah, any any women's health, I I love working with teenage girls with painful periods, just trying to get them before they end up on the pill, you know, let's try and sort this out because I've seen all the women trying to get pregnant in their 30s -hmm. who've been on the pill all of that time and they actually had problems with their periods early on. Yeah. And that was never addressed. And I, I always find that really hard. And all of those women say, I wish I'd known back then. Yeah. Um, but no, no one, well, no one addressed it back then. Um, so if we can help women, those young women, um, they may still end up on the pill. And like, if that's the right thing, I'm a very easygoing, not black and white kind of practitioner. There are the, and there's many right ways as well. So for some yeah. people, the pill is the right thing. Um, uh, but, it would be better if it wasn't if we could correct if if the reason they're going on the pill is not a contraceptive reason but it's to manage a menstrual problem then it'd be great to address that now some menstrual problems are so terrible that they the pill is necessary you know yeah. it, it just is and um so like i said i'm not i'm not black and black and white on that we just do the best we can with what we have yeah um so yeah working with those different age groups um mm-hmm. but then lots of fertility lots of pregnancy and a bit of postpartum care as well um and then i think the dietetics comes in nicely because i'm working so much with nourishing blood a lot yeah. Chinese medicine has a practice called Zuoyetsu, um, which means doing the month. And it's basically after a woman gives birth, it's, a, it's about a month after that. Mm-hmm. And it's about um, staying warm and building your blood back up um, and your reproductive function, which we talk about with kidneys in Chinese medicine. Um, so diet has always been a massive part of, of that. Um, but I see so many women who are dieting, um, they're exercising a lot, um, they're not eating enough, um, these, these kind of things. Um, and it's sometimes they're new mums and they're like, oh, you know, I just make food for, by the time I make food for the kids, then... I don't want to make food for myself. So I just pick at a few grapes and a, you know, whatever. And she's just doing the best that she can. But as a result of that, we say that um, sometimes she's not nourishing her blood well enough, um, Mm -hmm. which kind of is a bit of a crossover with anemia, but not completely. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we use diet a lot to help with that. And sometimes we bring herbs Mm -hmm. and, and things into that too. Yeah. Amazing. And did you find when you did go down that niche, did that really help with the business side and the marketing side of things? Yeah. So when I first started, it was in that clinic with the three IVF clinics. And so I was just yep. a generalist at that point, yep. but very quickly learned IVF and pregnancy, and which yep. I loved working in. Um, but it was probably not until I moved down to, oh, on the Gold Coast, I think I focused a lot on women's health. But when I moved down here, I did a whole new rebrand. And uh, that made me really sit down and work out, you know, who am I? What do I do? Who do I like working with? Who do I have the most to offer to? Um, and that's when the real women's health pregnancy um, came out. And um, one of the things that we sort of workshop talking about is that I really love helping um, women through life's great changes. Yeah. And so that can be the start of menstruation, that can be menopause, but that can also be breaking up with a partner it can be changing jobs it can be going through coronavirus it can be just all the things that get thrown at you and you're like oh my body's gone out of whack that sort of thing yeah amazing and those questions you just mentioned that you asked yourself when you did that rebrand anyone who's like didn't write those down rewind and write those down <laughs> I think it's so important to be really clear on who you are and what you're offering because if you don't know that then how are you supposed to sell that to other people so that's yeah that's really great that you went and did that. And I'm glad you brought that up here today as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the stuff around your target market. And I went to a, a social media um, workshop uh, last year, late last year. And one of their big messages was, is to come up with a person who represents yeah, your like target avatar. customer. Yeah. 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 And um, that was, that was fantastic. Yeah. So, and then you just always come back and you go, 
well, would this person say that or would they not say that, you know? And yeah, yeah that was a great thing to do. Yeah, brilliant. Um, so what would you say you attribute your success to date to? Good mentors. Yeah. <laughs> Good mentors. <laughs> um, and a great peer network. Yeah. Um, and probably the the biggest thing that actually happens within clinic is I try mm-hmm. to be a really good listener yep. and make people feel really comfortable. And that goes down to making sure I've got really nice towels um, <laughs> that, that I tuck people in, um, yep. that people always leave feeling better than when they came in. I think yeah. that's, that's a big part. I think acupuncture is, sometimes I say acupuncture might be about 30% of what I do, but the rest is, you know, the diet, the herbs, that sort of thing. And then, the other part is the actual interaction. Is it a therapeutic interaction? Yeah. Have I, does the person feel listened to? Do they feel like um, they're walking away with something that makes them feel better? Mm-hmm. Um, and have they had? Have they had a? Do they feel good while they're while they're, in acupuncture? It matters. I think that you feel good while while you're there. Yeah, absolutely. That's really important to mention. Um, and while we're talking about success, what does success mean to you? What does success mean to me? I think it means helping, um, like going back to helping people through life's great changes. Um, So that is that baby that never, they didn't ever think they'd have. But it's also, Mm -hmm. not everyone comes out with the baby that they were trying to get, but it's that same person saying, you know, we tried really hard, we did everything. I actually feel the best I've ever felt. Mm -hmm. Um, And that they've, they're quite happy with where they are at the, at the moment. Um, even though that baby hasn't come along, um, they, they've got a lot out of it and, you know, their journey has changed, but they, they, they feel positive about that, that change. So I I think it's every interaction, helping people to feel better, um, knowing that we don't always get, I mean, we often get to the goal, but we don't always get to the goal, but sometimes that goalposts change and go in a different direction. And, um, yeah, just just seeing people's lives change for the better. Yeah, that's beautiful. Um, and what would you say one mindset shift is that is necessary to become a successful practitioner? Um, I think it's to trust yourself that you know enough. Mm-hmm. So I think a lot of us go in with that um, uh yeah, feel, feeling really nervous and I don't know enough. How am I going to ever help this? Keep it simple. Yeah. Um, and when you're giving advice, don't give too much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think sometimes we forget that for some people, they're starting with such like a basic knowledge that we might not feel like we're delivering enough knowledge. So we feel like we need to bombard them with all these different things. But for them, it's just overwhelming. So yes, yeah, sort of holding their hand through it and drip feeding it and just making sure they really can take on the changes as they go can be really beneficial. Even if we feel like we're not doing enough, we often are. Yeah, that's, that's it. My probably last thing I'd add to that as well is to treat everyone like an individual. Yes. Um, Yeah. So um, try not to do protocols too much or sticks directly to the protocol. Mm -hmm. Um, But everyone is different. So weave around, know that, um, this person says that they can't do that and, th- and that's okay. That's all right. We'll just pick what we can do, you know? Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and what would be one book that you recommend for every listener to read and why? Oh, um, only one book. It's a tough um, one. <laughs> it is a tough one. And I, um, I'll go with this one. Yeah. It's, the first 40 days mm-hmm. and it's going to be, it's by Heng U, um, Heng, H-E-N-G, and then surname O-U. Um, yeah. And it's uh, The Essential Art of Nourishing the New Mother. And it comes from a Chinese medicine point of view. I recommend this to all of my pregnant women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really helps them to shape their postpartum period. Uh, it gives them all these ideas of things that they can do while they're pregnant so that that postpartum period is easier. A yep. lot of the Chinese dietetic stuff I've talked about is in this book. Not everything I agree on in this. So it does talk about um, eating your placenta or cap- uh, encapsulating placenta. I'm not in that school um, from this point of view. So 
placenta, eating the placenta was never part of Chinese medicine and it's often sold that it is, but it never, ever was. So a Chinese historian who goes, who specializes in this area just said, no, yeah. it is not part of Chinese medicine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but the, interestingly, the people who did eat the placenta were men who, and it was um, an alchemy thing, and they were trying to sort of ascend to a, a higher level. Oh, wow. um, so they're the only people who had placenta. Women <laughs> would bury their placenta in the backyard as part of an astrological sort of thing um, to connect mm. with the, the baby, basically. So that's where placentas came in. So in this book, I like most things in this book, except probably yeah. the part on the placenta that isn't Chinese medicine. Um, yeah. Uh, and you know, you can make your decision up on placentas yourself. Um, <laughs> but the rest of it, I think is yeah. really wise, great advice. I've made some of the recipes. There's some really quite delicious things in here. Yeah. Amazing. That sounds really interesting. And you've definitely taught me something about that whole placenta thing as well. <laughs> yeah. Nice and I can send more us. information on that if, if, if you'd like it. <laughs> um, brilliant. So I want to ask before we wrap up, can you talk a little bit about acupressure with a particular focus on an acupressure point for stress? Because I know a lot of students and a lot of people going into business or with busy lifestyles will be listening to this. So I think it could be really cool to get a practical tip out of today as well um, and learn, yeah, fun acupressure point. Yeah. So um, acupressure is basically just pressing on a point. Mm -hmm. um, it's not a nice soft massage or anything like that, but it's actually um, a strong press. So yeah. you can see what I'm doing here. It's um, This is a headache point. A lot of people know it. it's called large intestine four or hergu. Yeah. Um, for head and face, hergu is ace is how it goes. <laughs> um, and But you don't do this if you're um, pregnant under 37 weeks pretty much no no yeah. none of this for that that but um so that's just demonstrating what acupressure is acupressure's had quite a bit of research on it too it is a valid mm -hmm. thing to use um uh it's used a lot in labor as well for pain relief um yep. but something for stress so if you're having if you just feel like your mind is either just not turned on or too full you can actually just tap on the very top of your head and it's just the crown of your head um basically if you went from the tip of your ears and you go up to the top and you, if you feel around there you'll feel like a little divot a little depression we call it yeah. and you can just sort of form like a little thing like this and you can just so cool. tap on there or you can even just slap yourself there as well <laughs> sorry that's one that's called do 20 the chinese yep. name is beihui which means 100 meetings and it's just where all these channels come and meet at the head it'll benefit your brain it'll help you to think more clearly um that sort of thing so if you need waking up turning the lights on that we, we say it opens the orifices of the face which is your eyes and nose and mouth and ears um, the second point I'll give you for stress is on your wrist. A lot of people know this as a seasickness point or a morning sickness point. It's for nausea or vomiting, but it is also a calming the mind point as well. Um, and basically this is um, sort of layman's measuring. We do different measuring in the clinic, but if you take three of your fingers or two thumbs mm -hmm. should be a similar amount and you use your fingers on your body, not someone else's fingers on your body. And you go from your wrist crease, three fingers and just at the bottom there, and it'll be just between the tendons. So if you can make your tendons pop out um, yeah. and go in there and you press that one deeply and you should get a strong feeling if you're pressing it deeply. Yeah, I can feel that. Um, yeah, you'll know if you're pressing it hard enough. Yeah. Um, and that's a really lovely, calming, settling, soothing point as well. Amazing. So this one wakes you up, this one settles <laughs> you down. Maybe this one for the morning, this one for the evening. Yeah, that's really cool. And when you were describing that tapping at the top of the head one, it actually made me think of, have you heard of emotional freedom technique, EFT tapping? Yes, yeah, yes. So they borrow those, those points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, so fascinating. Um, cool. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I hope that helps all the listeners too. I know I'm always looking for ways to decrease stress levels because we all know how detrimental stress can be towards our health. So anything we can do to walk our talk and even supply other people with these amazing tools is great. Um, so mm. before we do wrap up, I wanted to ask, do you have any parting words of advice for the listeners? Parting words of advice, probably similar to what I've um, said earlier is, you know, back yourself, you know, enough, yeah. um, treat everyone like they're an individual. Yeah. Um, and then I'd, 
those tricky patients. Think about if they're hot or cold um, and maybe change their diet structure a little bit around that. Yeah, brilliant tips. I love it. Um, This has been an awesome conversation. And for anyone who wants to follow along your journey and learn more about acupuncture and yourself, where can they find you? Yeah, so um, my website is sarahgeorgeacupuncture.com.au and I'm also um, on Instagram and Facebook as well, which is just Sarah George Acupuncture. Amazing. And I will link to all of those in the show notes and on the social media posts I share as well. So thank you so much for joining me today, Sarah. This has been brilliant. I really appreciate your time and all of your knowledge. Lovely. Thank you so much. It's been heaps of fun. Yeah, I've enjoyed it. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that episode as much as I did. I feel like I gained so much valuable insight and advice from it and I hope you agree. If you did enjoy this episode, please leave me a review and tell me what you think. I would love to hear your feedback. Do you know anyone else that this episode can benefit? I would be so grateful if you share it with them. That way, they too can benefit from all of the insight that we covered today. Your support means so much to me and together we can help even more people build a career and a life that they love. Thank you for being here. Until next time, keep making your dreams a reality.